The late and great Terence McKenna once said, Chaos is what we've lost touch with. This is why it's been given a bad name. It is feared by the dominant archetype of the world, which is ego, which clenches because its existence is defined in terms of control. Welcome to Fool's Guide to the Occult. I'm Lux Estrada. And I'm riding a tsunami wave of entropy crashing into the pigment of your imagination. Today we are talking about chaos magic. And what a juicy topic it is. So for me, one of the things that essence of chaos magic is figuring out how to use the tools that you have at your disposal. It kind of reminds me of the kind of like magical opportunism that Kevin had mentioned a few episodes ago. And by the way, shout out to you, Kevin. I enjoyed listening to you. I hope you're doing good. Totally. So chaos magic. Uh, don't let the name fool you either, guys. Um, like any occult practice, it's going to take discipline. And also, there's no way that we're going to be able to talk about all the wild and wonderful things that Chaos Magic has to offer in one single episode. But we thought we'd go over some of like the basics today. Yeah, totally. And I don't know, would you consider Chaos Magic like uh, entry-level occult practice? Or would you recommend that people like find something else to start with? I think it kind of depends. It's sort of hard to say. Like, I I got started pretty young, you know, in terms of, like, my exposure to some of these, like, occult, occult ideas. So when I finally kind of came across chaos magic, it was like, oh, yeah, this this is the thing. Like, that makes sense. So um, hard to say. I think it would probably be easier to get your feet wet with some other traditions maybe first. But, you know, everybody's different. I think it probably just depends on how you think and who you are. So... But it might be easier to start yeah. other places. Yeah, that's my inclination as well. And I think I've recommended that in the past. But you're right. It really depends on every individual person and how they, they sort of interact with the material. All right. So really, a lot of the perspective of this show in the past has been from the perspective of chaos magic. But today, we're kind of kind of like jump right in and give you like what all this means. But first, we've got some journaling to talk about. Yeah, indeed we do. Um, our homework from last week was to go out and perform a satanic action, whether that meant to exercise the will and the spirit of true individualism or stand up for the downtrodden or lead by example or act as Lucifer, bringing the light of reason to a situation in need. For me, I mean, we're all kind of, at least a lot of us, are, are trapped indoors right now. I know I haven't been out of my house in almost a week now is a little maddening so performing this satanic action was slightly difficult but i think i've done it in several ways one i've had a lot of time to just kind of do what i want to do which i think in itself is a, a satanic action because it's an action of expressing the the spirit of individualism i also occasionally get sucked into social media and end up having to respond to some of the idiots out there saying dumb things that need to be corrected, which is bringing light to reason, or the light of reason, rather. And then I also submitted an application to a left-hand path organization that primarily, or um, one of their four major focuses is Satanism. So, Well, you've been busy. That sounds good. <laughs> Yeah, no. Never a dull moment. 
Yeah, no, definitely. So for me, like the idea of like personal responsibility is a huge thing um, when I consider Satanism. So sort of like what you're saying, I've been trying to practice good self-care and stay strong for everybody around me, you know, and for myself. There's like so much stress and uncertainty and like, so like falling back on a routine has been super helpful. And yeah, it's just trying to like, you know, keep it morale, reaching out to the people that need it and being honest when I need it too. Like, hey, could you send me a link to some cool music to listen to? I'm going crazy or whatever it is, you know, <laughs> like, ask for the help you need. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> so, <laughs> Indeed, yeah. So yeah, I mean, we just have to try to keep the morale up till we get past all this crazy stuff. It might not be a very exciting entry, but it is true. So there you have it. True. But hey, we're here to, today to talk about chaos magic. Chaos magic is one of the many magical paradigms or models. We discussed these briefly in season one, episode one. So if you need a little bit of a refresher, you can go back there, follow up with your own research. Yeah, like, I don't know, it's so cool. Like, there's so many fascinating magical traditions. Every culture has at least one. So, like, the way that I kind of like to think about, like, paradigms is this. All right, so you can think about this like huge workshop with like all these rows and rows of benches and each one has, you know, tools and materials and there's like master craftsmen there to train you. So when you choose to like work in a paradigm, you're like basically kind of sitting down at one of these benches and choosing to learn from the teachers by sort of like following the instructions and examples and everything. And yeah, you, you use the tools as they're designed until you kind of get a feel for how they work. And then you can figure out how to use them for your own specific purposes. Kind of like while you're sitting there at that bench, you like, you know, you take part in it fully. Um, and then when you're done, you can take what you need back to your own personal bench where you're doing your work and use it in the manner that seems best to you. So how do you think about it? I view it much the same way, except I have this problem. My way of interacting with the magic or really life in general is heavily governed by a natural ebb and flow. I'm kind of like a leaf laying in a stream being carried uh, wherever it takes me. Periodically, I bump into a stick or a rock or a bank and get hung up there for a while, but eventually move on. Uh you know, I try to learn what I can while I'm stuck in one place and show respect to master instructors when it's due, but I never restrain myself completely to a single paradigm. It's kind of as in the martial arts, cross-training is essential. I, I've related magic to martial arts in previous episodes uh, and to music as well. Personally, I prefer to control style rather than allow style to control me. Yeah, no, dude, I think that's really well said. Like, I think that's definitely a key idea for me when it comes to this stuff, too. And also what you said about, like, the ebb and flow. I super feel that, too. And I think that might be a common experience. If you guys have experience with that, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Bruce Lee told us to be like water. Like water, I try to fill in the gaps of all the ideas I come into contact with, surround their form, and occasionally bring things uh, with me as I journey ever forward on the river of life. I guess to sum it up, I don't like to limit myself by focusing on one school or one paradigm. That said, I've been working with this stuff for, geez, over 17 years now and have the benefit of varying degrees of experience. I believe I've said this at some point in an earlier episode, but it's vital for the aspiring magician, the seeker, the fool to choose a path down which to begin the journey. 
There are many forks in those paths. Sometimes they'll meet, join, or intersect, but the, the new magician should not be tempted off the path until they've built a considerable foundation rooted in solid, dedicated study and work. And that's just my opinion, but I think that would do a lot of people really well. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, man. Like, like we were talking, this stuff takes discipline, you know, like, so like, you know, the study and the work to kind of help build up that discipline is, is going to be something that you can learn by doing what you just said. So I, I definitely agree. Yeah. And there's really, I'm, you know, people would ask like, okay, what is the considerable amount of time? Like how many weeks, how many months, how many years do I dedicate myself to? And I'm, I'm not going to put a time limit on this. Every individual is different. But once that foundation is solid, like the artist or musician, you can begin breaking the rules and blending styles and creating something uniquely your own, which is how chaos magic sort of came to be in some ways. You know, in fact, I think it would be like a violation of our fundamental nature to not do so. Self needs to express itself in raw, unfiltered forms. This leads to self-actualization this is what bruce lee was talking about what it's what he did when he broke away from wing chun and eventually developed jeet kundo this is what happened in music after you know a, a long time the creation of alternative the alternative genre came from the mixing of uh, rock and roll and hip-hop right you get bands like anthrax that did bring the noise with public enemy or you know there's countless other examples you could talk about Lincoln Park and stuff like that. Yeah, no, I I, I like the, the way that you phrased all that. Like, and I will forgive you for bringing up Lincoln Park. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I just use that as an example because it's a really mainstream one. Like everyone hated techno and electronica in the mainstream until Lincoln Park came along. But people were doing the same style as them probably in a more hardcore way in the underground like skinny puppy and KMFDM long before but you know in an attempt to reach the most people with a metaphor oh yeah no definitely i just you know words have power and when you keep talking about lincoln park you're basically summoning their specter here among us so i'm just wondering why you're doing that (laughs) (laughs) all right you know what reanimation was a pretty awesome album but we can talk about this later All right. All right. All right. Anyway, (laughs) we're here to talk about chaos magic, right? Right. Not music or martial arts. So let's get down to that. (laughs) Let's do it. All right. So before we get into the chaos magic portion, we thought you guys might find it interesting to get a little bit of a taste for the science. And I know this is not a science podcast, so I'm going to try to keep this short and sweet. But if this stuff is interesting to you, I would definitely recommend you check out the book Chaos, Making a New Science by James Gleek. It's pretty accessible read and it's like it'll it'll definitely blow your mind. I would highly recommend it. Totally. And like I'm not opposed to bringing science into the show. I think pretty much everything is related to the realm of the cult. So, you know, science away. Yeah, dude. And also like, I don't know, dude, even though I didn't I wasn't reading it as an occult text when I read it, I was like holy fuck i knew it magic is real so you know check it out (laughs) so all right chaos theory all right so i'll try to tell this in the form of a story uh this is just sort of the inception of it like 
It started around 1960 when Edward and Lorenz created a simple yet intriguing model of a weather system. Um, And this seemed to be like a perfectly ordinary, you know, orderly little simulation. There would be clouds and rain and stuff, you know, everything that you would expect from a weather simulation. Again, this is 1961, so the technology is pretty rudimentary, but it worked at the time. All right, so in 1961, you know, one day it kind of like spun completely out of control. And the idea of like chaos theory as a branch of science was born. So like Lorenz had taken a shortcut and instead of starting the simulation from the beginning, he decided to start midway through and enter the readings from like a paper printout. So this should have been like a save point in a video game, like program hadn't changed, nothing about it had changed at all. But what he realized was that the computer stored six decimal places, but to save space, um, the printout only displayed three. So it turned out like this like really minute difference, which was actually like one part in a thousand, was enough to completely change the behavior of the system. So this phenomenon where like a tiny change to something seemingly inconsequential eventually causes massive shifts in a system is known as the butterfly effect. I've seen that movie. <laughs> I've never actually seen no, it before. No, <laughs> is really. it good? I mean, it's Aston Kutcher if, that, if you're into that. <laughs> I'll probably give it a miss. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So scientists from many different disciplines began to notice like that this type of behavior is in all kinds of systems. All right. So I'm going to read a, a quote from Gleek's book. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, by the way. So don't hold that against me. It can't be as bad as some of the like Polish names we tried to That's pronounce true. last there episode. There were some tough ones last time. Well, hopefully it'll be fine. <laughs> All right, so, and also this is from the prologue, so it won't be a spoiler, no worries on that. Now that science is looking, chaos seems to be everywhere. A rising column of cigarette smoke breaks into wild swirls. A flag snaps back and forth in the wind. A dripping faucet goes from a steady pattern to a random one. Chaos appears in the behavior of oil flowing in underground pipes. No matter what the medium, the behavior obeys the same law. That realization has begun to change the way that business executives make decisions about insurance, the way that astronomers look at solar systems, the way that political theorists talk about stresses leading to armed conflicts. Chaos breaks across the lines that separate scientific disciplines. It is a science of the global nature of systems. So basically what he's saying is that chaos theory is a science that studies how things work in our reality. Or if you're like, you know, a Kabbalist uh, here in Malkuth, right? Uh, it also sort of reminds me a little bit of this idea of, you know, the Pythagoreans of ancient Greece. who had, They had this like idea about like the metaphysics of number that underlying nature of reality was like mathematical. I don't know if that sounds familiar. You know, I, I took a chaos theory class during my undergrad and it totally broke my brain. I took it my sophomore year just for fun because like the professor was also my advisor and he, I, you know, I told him at one point that I was having trouble with some of the math classes I was taking. And he was like, oh, come down to my office, blah. And he starts drawing like Serpinski's triangle on the whiteboard and showing me like all these, like the Mandelbrot set and all this trippy stuff. And <laughs> so I'm like, all right, right, I'll take your class. It fucking wrecked me, though. Like philosophically, I can understand it. But some of the like complex math and like graphing equations way beyond me. Very interesting stuff, though. (laughs) 
Yes, I mean, that experience sounds simultaneously stressful and delightful, which is sort of very chaos magic. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose. (laughs) So, all right, as the early chaos scientists discovered, there's a lot of strange and beautiful symmetry between patterns and systems in the world around us. Like talking about fractals, as you said, like look at the way that the bronchial tubes and the human lung branch out and you can see the same pattern on trees or lightning. Uh, These types of patterns are called fractals. And um, if you're unfamiliar with this concept, I highly recommend you do an image search whenever it is convenient because it is pretty cool and fun. And I really think that to like almost everything in nature it's wild yeah exactly it perfectly illustrates this idea of like as above so below right like so i mean even with this like basic understanding of how chaos exists in the systems of our world we can kind of start to get an idea for how this might be useful from a magical perspective totally so we're going to talk about some of the like core principles of chaos magic one is anti-dogmatism but excuse me we'll get to that in a second In Liber Chaos, Peter J. Carroll states, in chaos magic, beliefs are not seen as ends in themselves, but as tools for creating desired effects. To fully realize this is to to face a terrible freedom in which nothing is true and everything is permitted, which is to say that everything is possible. There are no certainties and the consequences can be ghastly. Laughter seems to be the only defense against the realization that one does not have a real self. The purpose of chaos rituals is to create beliefs by acting as though such beliefs were true. It's kind of like Schrodinger's cat, right? Until you open the box, it exists in two states, both alive and dead, or perhaps in exists in no state at all, an illusion that never was. But in... Yeah, I mean, the waveform doesn't collapse until you open the box. Right. <laughs> But in Chaos Magic, we want to try and take control of those possibilities and, as you said, collapse the waveform, but in our desired outcome or in our favor. It could be argued that this is a huge function of consciousness in general, but we'll dig more into that spooky matrix type jazz when we go into reprogramming and consciousness and some of that stuff later down the line, maybe season three or so. The laughter bit, though, is really yeah, I, I I can't wait. It's like my favorite thing to talk about, but, you know, let's build up a foundation first. <laughs> Both Carol and Hein discuss the use of laughter as an effective form of banishing. So, you know, think twice next time you see that quote unquote crazy person on the corner chuckling to themselves hysterically in many pre-Christian cultures, people who exhibited what we now call schizophrenia fulfilled the role of shamans and If you're into Terrence McKenna, who our quote that we opened up the show with was from, uh, he had some really good lectures and tidbits in his book on that very concept. Yeah, no, definitely. And also, you know, not to diminish the trouble that, you know, mental health issues can definitely cause some people to. So just got to get that out of the way. But, um, you know, what you're... Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we could talk about this at some point, but like, I don't know, I feel like... In many other cultures, people who exhibited varying degrees of mental illness were like given a role in society, which sort of in those cultures seemed to lessen the impact of that. Whereas we like make we brand people outcasts, you know. Yeah, that's definitely a valid point. And I think but I think there's like sort of a trend going on now where people are saying, like, oh well, people that ha- might have these like mental health issues, like they're they're shamans. We shouldn't give them help. We should listen to them and like I think there's, you know, there's a kind of a double-edged sword there for sure. 
also going back to the stigmatization of mental health issues in our culture, which is a whole nother issue that we could talk about some other time, but we're here to talk about chaos magic, not this stuff. We can do it. Okay. So focus, focus, focus. We got this. We got this. We can do it. Going back to Lee Renoul and laughter. Carol points out that laughter is unique in that it has no opposite, meaning that you can laugh out of joy or bitterness or other emotions. And he's got this to say about it. Rejected by science, which cannot explain it away. Derided by religion whose piety deflates, used only to embarrass pretension in art and philosophy. Verily, it is a tool of magic. In the classic laughter of men, I see their volition towards release. So this also seems like a good time to mention that you might hear one or both of us making jokes about this stuff, but don't think for a minute that that doesn't mean that we don't take it seriously. It's just a super good idea to not take yourself too seriously. And laughter is a very useful tool, so you should keep it close at hand. True that. And uh, before we dive deeper, I think, you know, we should we should take a little interlude. I think that's a great idea. All right. So this episode is brought to you by the Wheel of Fortune. No, not the TV show with Pat Sajak and Vanna White. Major Arcana number 10. <laughs> there are limits to the degree to which we can control our circumstances. We can play with probability and attempt to curve things in our favor, but there are limits to which we can currently alter our reality. The Wheel of Fortune is a good reminder of this. In a spread right side up, the Wheel of Fortune can represent good luck, turning point in events, or indicate a general cycle of life events. Reversed in a spread, the Wheel of Fortune can indicate bad luck, the breaking of a cycle, or a resistance to change. And what a perfect card for today's topic. I think so. What are we talking about next? All right. When people think about chaos magic, some of the first things that tend to come to mind are sigils and servitors, thought forms. So, hey, dude, what's a sigil? Well, these are basically um, occult doodles. <laughs> uh, not always, but but often they're they're little occult doodles. Uh, uh, sometimes they're pre-existing. Sometimes people make them up. More often than not, people make them up. Um, they're often forgotten about after you know they're they're fired off, as we say to take effect in reality. Really, any magic symbol can be considered a sigil, or rather any symbol that causes a shift in the state of mind and can be used for the purpose of magic. But that, I mean, that's rudimentary basics of it. And then and uh, servitors are a step beyond that. They're, they're a sigil that instead of being like a one and done kind of thing are like... Um, I don't know, how would you describe it as like creating a entity almost that just kind of hangs out and does yeah, what it's, it's supposed to do? Yeah, it's basically like a, I think the idea of it is it's sort of like an externalized buildup of concerted thought effort, if that makes sense. <laughs> if that's not complete nonsense. Yeah. Uh, there's this book by Clive Barker called The Great and Secret Show. There's basically, not to throw in too many spoilers, but there's a magician who's trapped in a space that he can't get out of. And at some point, he comes into contact with two of the story's main characters, um, the Jaff, who is uh, an evil magician turned into a demigod, basically, uh, who seeks to break into or tear his way into this place called Quiddity, which, I mean, we can kind of think like of like as the, the astral plane in a way, but not really. It's the source of magic in the in the world. And so he meets this this person, this magician who's trapped in this place 
and that magician is is desperate, just desperate uh, to escape and get inside this other person's body, this the, the other character, this uh, lady who shows up there. And he uses a form of sigil magic through various bodily functions to create servitors or little monsters that are controlled by his will. The godly protagonist and antagonist in the story are like creating servitors all throughout the entire last section of the book off the dreams and nightmares of people in this town they're just duking it out in. There's also like a really cool graphic novel of the book, but it leaves out like a huge portion of the book. So it's really cool for the art, but a bunch of the stories kind of left out. But anyway, so there's there's some uh, sigils and servitors in um, fiction. All right. Yeah, that sounds fucking wild, man. I'm going to check that out. I will add it to my reading list. Yeah, it's different than most of Clyde Barker's books. So like people mostly know him for like Hellraiser and stuff like that. And this book is more like, you know, fantasy than horror which is his normal thing. I will throw out there, though, that a little trigger warning. There's a brief and not too graphic uh, supernatural rape scene towards the end of the first third of the book. So, you know, if you want to avoid that kind of stuff, uh, don't read that. Good advice. Yeah. All right. There are a lot of good books there out there on crafting sigils. But honestly, I think if you're just getting into Chaos Magic, read Archtrader Blue Fluke's material online. It's free. You just Google Archtrader Blue Fluke or uh, is it Cartoon Guide to Chaos or Chaos Magic or something like that, and you'll find it. Yeah, no, I, it should be pretty it's, easy to find. It's, yeah, it's yeah, great. It's it is great. It's, it's great. Um, and then pick up Condensed Chaos by Phil Hine. I think Peter Peter J. Carroll's work is great, but if you do not have like a very grounded foundation in the occult yet, I think some of it is probably going to be a little beyond you. So I think the Arch Trader and then uh, Phil Hine's work are probably good places yeah. to start. Yeah, I, I think that that's definitely true. Like I, I mean, obviously we're both huge fans of Carol, but I think that, like you said, those others are a little bit more accessible. Yeah, definitely. Chaos Magic in itself is sort of a freeform interpretive dance. As long as you follow some of the basic rules of magic, you can break all the other ones and, you know, come up with your own moves and steps. So that said, where would we start with a sigil? Well, we could start with the spliff method. I like spliffs. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, you know, I, I guess a lot of this goes back to our earlier episodes, uh, season one, episode five, the composing your own magic. But yeah, let's talk about the spliff method for a, for a second. It, it, in context, it, it stands for statements of intent, pathways available, link intent to a symbolic carrier, which is going to be your sigil, intense gnosis or indifferent vacuity, um, which is, you know, entering your magical frame of thought, firing, and then forgetting. Yeah. Yeah. So first, you got to know your purpose and craft your statement of intent. Remember, you want to be really clear and specific. If not... The universe is a grand cosmic joker, and uh, when it comes to these things, you might get sort of a twisted version of what you asked for if you're not very yes, clear. That <laughs> can be can be a thing. Um, also, we definitely recommend that like you be careful what you ask for. Just like make sure you really want it because you might get it. So like you know, think it through as they say. This stuff can be pretty effective. Just a side note there. Yeah, you know, like maybe go watch that movie Wishmaster before you do all this. <laughs> yeah, do that. 
<laughs> so you might want to use tarot cards or another divination tool to ask for some advice on your working before crafting your statement of intent or, you know, afterwards and then uh, revise it based on what you interpret from your reading. Hein has a thing he calls the SWOT analysis. And we've talked about SWOT at some point in an earlier episode, but it basically stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. It's a really good model to use for analyzing pretty much any course of action, be it like a business endeavor, a military campaign, asking for a raise, asking you know somebody out on a date, whatever it is. So remember, you need to analyze the pathways available. There is no sense working a piece of magic or even unrelated like non-occult things when you have no avenue of success. Um, if there's no opportunity, no pathway to make it realistically possible, it's not going to happen. If you need something and there is no pathway, you've got to open a door first to make that possible. So like say you need money, for example, but you don't have uh, income, you need to open a pathway for that money to come through first. Like it's not just going to fall out of the sky. A, a stork isn't going to bring you a basket full of money. So, you know, you got to do, you got to open those pathways. You start looking for jobs or whatever, get a job, and then maybe you can start doing your your money magic to you know get a raise or a bonus or something like that. Um, the next step is what Hein calls linking intent, which makes some form of sigil of your statement of intent, right? Yeah. So like, okay, so some people will write out the sentence and of intent, like this is their statement of intent, very specific, as we mentioned. Uh, you write it out. Um, and you can remove the vowels and you can remove the repeating letters and then take like the remaining letters and arrange them into a magical symbol. I think some people use like the pictorial method, drawing an abstract representation of like their intent. It really kind of comes down to what seems like the best thing for what you're trying to accomplish. I've found that when designing sigils personally, like I feel like it's I've got it when it evokes like some kind of emotional response when I look at it. So that, that that's just me. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, it, it should seem magical, right? <laughs> like, right, right. If it doesn't, then, you know, you're fooling yourself. Yeah. Keep working on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes people also use like the symbols embedded in their various oracle tools. So, like if you did a, a tarot reading or a, a, like a rune casting or something like that, you can weave those symbols into there. You can also use like other occult symbols. So like uh, alchemical symbols, if you're into that or astrological symbols, or, you know, you can use other symbols related to what the the type of magic you're trying to work is. Yeah, no, I mean, like even, even it can be something like just kind of random. I mean, so this is, this is like a kind of a, a basic idea of this, but sometimes when I bake bread, like I'll cut like a health or happiness sigil into it while I'm making it, you know. I mean, it can't hurt. Because why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally going to start doing that. Um, sigils don't have to be written either. Um, there are methods of turning them into all sorts of like mantras or other things like that. Yeah. And I've heard like musicians make music like sigils, which is like a really abstract way of thinking about it. But I really fucking love it. And I'm super excited to experiment with it in the future. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you were talking about earlier, like the entire universe is mathematical. Music is also math. So if you, you know, you convert the letters into numbers or notes, and you can then make a, you know, a statement of intent into a piece of music that way. Hein also discusses using like other media, like smell, tastes, colors, body languages, hand gestures. Have you ever seen that show, uh, The Magicians? 
And yeah, I know that's yeah. based on books. But I fucking love that show. I'm it's ashamed. a great show. Um, I'm all about it. But look at what they're doing with their hands when they're casting spells, right? All their all their spells are done with like these like hand movements. It's very fun. It's very cool. And you know, you can make sigils that way, as long as it's intentional, right? You have to mm-hmm. you know, also eventually forget what it means, but definitely all right. So there are two major ways of dealing with the sigil. You can craft it, fire it, by which we mean set it into motion by one way or another, and then forget it. Or you can craft it, forget it, file it, find it later, and then fire it. Yeah, I mean, the main, I think, idea is sort of like sublimating it, right? Like, just you just need to find a way to get it into the subconscious, I think, is sort of the idea. Yeah, like the modern methods for activating or firing a sigil were like originally developed by Austin Osmond Spare, and you can read about them in his book of pleasure. Uh, but his methods have sort of been built on and refined over the years. In order to fire a sigil, one puts themselves in an altered state of consciousness, usually referred to as gnosis. There's lots of ways to achieve this. I'm sure that we've talked about this before, but some of the more like common ones being like trance or dancing, fasting, height of sexual pleasure. <laughs> this is the point <laughs> in the discussion about chaos magic where a person would make a joke about this uh, and like looking at squiggles that you drew and what you're up to. But I, I think <laughs> we've gotten that out of the way <laughs> so we can move on. Uh, what are some other ways of attaining gnosis? Self-inflicted pain um physical exhaustion excitatory drugs periods of extreme boredom i've definitely uh been stuck on the highway in traffic during like a major car accident where i was stuck there for like two hours and used that time to like do magic because why the fuck not yeah dude magical opportunism right yeah the thing about drugs too it's it can be like really helpful, but also you don't want to be reliant on it, right? Like if, if, if it's like you have to use, you know, it's like I don't want to be in the position where it's like, oh, well, I can't, you know, achieve gnosis if I haven't taken mushrooms or whatever, you know, whatever it is that you're up to. <laughs> like, I don't know. I would rec- definitely recommend like yeah, totally. using that after you've mastered another way because, you know, although it's a good maybe shortcut it might not always be possible or it might lead to other bad things or whatever yeah also i think carol specifically warns against using psychedelics at least high doses of psychedelics like if you were to like microdose that might work but like a normal full dose of something is probably going to inhibit your ability to maintain focus enough to perform this kind of work yes <laughs> i i would agree that that is probably true depending on what you're doing obviously sure um i think for me too like ex- all right so this is sort of embarrassing but i'm very sensitive so extreme emotion is a big one but you know different things are gonna work for different people obviously so kind of you know experiment see what gets you there yeah definitely definitely and and like when it comes to emotions that's going to be like the emotion ideally that's tied to the type of work you're you're doing levey talks about using like absolute rage as a state to be in to perform uh black magic that's definitely like a route to gnosis but you're not going to use that type of 
emotion for like i don't know healing the sick right <laughs> yeah definitely it, it all really comes down in what you're trying to do so. in psychonaut speaking of carol carol defines gnosis as a state of mind entered when it is hyper conscious of something which he specifies is not the same as thinking really hard about something or focusing on a thing because in states of gnosis thinking ceases entirely some emotional states he specifically mentions are terror and anger, well as the peak of orgasm, which we mentioned before. My problem with that one is it's like shorter. You know, you have less time to work with. <laughs> well, I'm sure there's techniques that could be mastered that would change that. Uh, yeah, I need practice. All right. Um, if you need more detail on Gnosis, it is covered in varying degrees of detail in our second and fifth episodes. Episode two primarily discusses the meditative method, while uh, episode five discusses a lot of the other ones. But ultimately, what you're trying to do is achieve a state of unified, single-pointed consciousness. At that point, you're going to fire off your sigils. I usually like to do them as part of a ritual and not off the cuff but you know sometimes you know you do it off the cuff I've, I've done that too it's just not the normal for me so whatever works for you at any given point in time is really what you should do yeah and absolutely like trust your instinct you know like for me like it depends on like the ask you know for something like big i would definitely feel inclined to do something more elaborate yeah that's a good point Hine also writes on page 79 of condensed chaos Proficiency at sorcery requires that you can isolate, identify, and focus upon specific desires, while at the same time become detached from them. Desires manifest when they have been isolated, exteriorized, and forgotten. So this forgetting part is a key component to chaos magic, um, especially sig sigil work, which is fundamentally different from how many other authors of say Wiccan magic and other forms of of witchcraft approach manifestation of their workings people like Webster Buckland SRW want you to take time and think about your desire after working your magic a little bit every day and that's fairly an easy task compared to the much more difficult task of allowing these things to entirely pass from your mind there seems to be some kind of spooky power going on when you fully release your desire, let it go to the universe, and then go about your daily life completely forgetting about it. <laughs> yeah, dude, spooky is the perfect term for it, right? So everything's connected, and then there's this idea of entanglement, spooky action at a distance, as Einstein called it. I love it. Yeah, totally. We talked a little bit about servitors, which are you know very similar to sigils, uh, except once coded, they... Or, um, mm -hmm. you know, operate independently, kind of like programs, if you will. Yeah, and like this can be accomplished in a number of different ways, but I think it's probably most commonly done through the use of sigils. And then we talked, we, you know, talked a little bit about egregores. Uh, this is like a type of, you know, thought form. This is kind of like the next level, like that this is something that exists between members of like a group. And this is something that can be created intentionally or it can sort of arise organically in other ways. Um, and if they get like super powerful, they become a god form. So this is like a pretty basic glossed over definition, but that's sort of like the gist of it. 
I have a feeling, dude, that, that we could definitely fill at least one episode on this topic. So we should probably plan on coming back to it. Yeah, let's let's not go into that too much now. We'll we'll do it on the next one or, or, or one coming up real soon. People might be wondering, these servitors and egregores and godforms and everything, like, are they real or are they just in our heads? Yes. <laughs> That's a great answer. <laughs> like... Uh, Alon Milo Duquette says in the Chikum Kabbalah, I mean, it's all in your head, right? You just don't realize how big your head is. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the next thing we're going to talk about is ego magic. And we're not we're not going to give you like a full tech here. Uh, I think we're going to talk about ego magic in a later episode. So this is kind of where cast magic gets really intense. It's kind of really the the dope metaphysical stuff that i really love uh most people are out there trying to use magic to like change the world or change other people make someone fall in love with them or you know get a bunch of money but ego magic is really about changing yourself so when we go into like reprogramming stuff and those episodes this will come up again in much more elaborate detail but for now we're just gonna like hammer out the basic form of so this is what peter j carroll had to say um about ego magic in psychonaut the self is more than the point at which formless life force or kia touches experience because consciousness occurs only at the kia mind interface we are unable to get to the root of what self i'm sorry get to the root of self with ideas to fill this gap or vacuum, we erect the ego. The ego is an image of self and Kia we build up out of habit. If you own Libranol and Psychonaut, this is on page 123 in the middle of the second full paragraph. Read it through a couple times. If you want and you don't own it, just rewind this a little bit and listen to that statement a couple more times. There's a lot in there to unpack. And it gets much more intense from there. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. Like, yeah, as Hector is saying, like, this stuff can be pretty intense. Um, so, like, if you're doing ego magic or shadow work or whatever, you know, um, maybe you're facing some of your own demons. You've got the thought, you know, this seems like a little bit too much for me to deal with on my own. Uh, listen to yourself. Uh, you can definitely find somebody to talk to. You don't have to climb Mount Everest on yourself. Get yourself a Sherpa, you know, like you could also like look at it like, you know, getting whatever help you feel like you could use could sort of be viewed as a magical act in and of itself. You're taking mag taking steps to purposely change your life. All right. So getting that out of the way, that being said, uh, let's get into it. All right. So Phil Hine, he's writing in Condensed Chaos. Becoming a magician implies continual change, modification of identity, entering different paradigms of belief and behavior, learning new skills, and shedding life patterns which have outgrown their usefulness. There is thus a shift from a core ego, which is based on maintaining differences this, or the self-other divide, to that of the exo, the self in a continual process of dynamic engagement. In other words, you can decide to be anybody you want to be, 
which sounds like sort of a platitude that you might have heard like when you were a kid <laughs> until you like fully realize the implications of the statement. <laughs> I think that ego modification happens naturally, right? Like as we progress through life and gain new experiences, but you know, with the use of like ego magic, it's an intentional process that's like guided by the practitioner. So like you're sort of holding the reins of this shit. Yeah, absolutely. I think a few less magical examples would be a good place to start. You know, some scientific studies have been done on habit forming and habit breaking, um, such as the one done in the University of the College of London, which noted uh, it took participants around 66 days to create a habit and anywhere from 18 to 254 days to break it. Now, if you're talking about addiction or like smoking, drinking, heroin, something like that, you know, that that's a totally different animal that can be a lifelong struggle. But general habits. OK, there. Habits aren't just patterns of behavior. They can also be patterns of thought, which have a significant impact on our worldview, our self-esteem, um, even what our actions or patterns of behavior are more likely to be more, you know, things we're more likely to exhibit. There's an example somewhere in uh, that book, Quantum Psychology by Robert Anton Wilson, where he discusses the difference um, in the way people in the United States talk about sadness versus I think it's Ireland. I'm not 100% sure, but it's, it's somewhere else. I'm pretty sure it's Ireland, though. And it goes something along the lines of in the United States, people will tend to say they're depressed, while people in Ireland will say a great sadness has come over me. There's a big difference in the meaning of those sentences. You know, the, the dialogue we use ultimately has a, affects our psychological makeup over a long term. Yeah, no, I know. I was just, the thing just came to my mind, like, you know, like in French, in French, they don't say like, it's raining. They say like, it literally translates, he makes, makes it rain. That, that, you know, it says a lot about how the culture thinks, right? Right. And we'll get into that, like cultural operating stuff and, and, and stuff like that. But yeah, so that's a good point. Like uh, a great sadness has come over me indicates that, that someone's just feeling sad, but it'll pass, right? It's come over me like a cloud and it'll go away. But on the other hand, when you're using language like I am depressed suggests that the essential character of the individual speaking um, is in a or not in, but is a profound state of sadness. And that kind of dialogue, especially internal dialogue, has a, a significant impact on the psychology of the individual long term. So changing patterns in thinking can significantly impact patterns of life people regularly use stuff like um positive affirmations kind of silly as they as they might seem you know they're actually using ego magic light it probably wouldn't persist if it wasn't effective right right it is right so you know actually attempting to do this is is basic ego magic. Using ego magic, one can employ a variety of methods to dramatically alter their thought process, cultural operating system, and ultimately the user experience, if you'll allow me to relate this to IT terms. We're using psychology and magical technology essentially to hack the mind. And as stated previously, this can have incredibly dangerous effects. So if you're attempting to do any of this kind of stuff, be very careful. Um, get help when you need it, as has already been said. And, you know, don't blame us if something goes wrong. Whatever you do, you do of your own free will, not because we advocated it. 
in one of our very first episodes, we warned you one of the potential side effects of magic and the occult is madness. So, you know, this is serious. <laughs> We're all a little bit mad. Serious stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, guys, trust. Yeah, trust your instincts. And yeah, obviously, respect yourself. So. Right. I mean, th- there's potential for incredibly good and positive outcomes. But if you're just in there, you know, fucking around, like if you go into the system files of your computer and just start randomly deleting shit and moving shit, you're eventually going to crash your computer, right? So don't do that to your brain. This is your brain on deleted files. (laughs) Don't do that to your brain. (laughs) Okay, so now that we've gotten all of that out of the way, how do we do it? Well... I mean, we already gave you a very rudimentary example, positive affirmations. The other example was uh, changing the type of internal dialogue you use. So, you know, instead of using certain, it's like picking up on new slang, right? So something goes out of fashion and something new comes in, you just kind of like try and think about it and incorporate it into your um, dialogue kind of, right? So you got to do that you know, you recognize a certain pattern of thought or a certain pattern of like dialogue that you use and you make a conscious effort to alter that dialogue such that it's not so negative. You know, in education, we call it like reframing, right? So take that negative statement and reframe it into a positive. So, you know, that that's a, a very rudimentary example of, of starting to do some of this stuff. I know. And also like getting back to Carol. So he suggests like randomly adopting different belief systems for like a short period of time. Right. So you can kind of try them on like a hat or a pair of shoes. There's like six recommended in Libranol. I think it is. You can roll a six sided dice, which is fun. And you can choose like paganism, monotheism, atheism, nihilism, chaosism, superstition. And um, yeah, just go with it uh, for a little while and get used to, you know, loosening up the infrastructure of your mind enough to adopt different beliefs at different times because that's sort of what all of this is about yeah totally get your mind real open (laughs) right yeah and you don't have to just stick with those i mean those are examples that he gave based on a certain set of beliefs he kind of lays out in his book but i mean you could try on all kinds of different stuff oh yeah make it your own like that's what this stuff is all about right yeah absolutely you know, you could take a look at the diagram of, oh, fuck, I'm going to mispronounce <laughs> this guy's name too, uh, Stanislavinsky. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look at his system for acting and, and you'll realize, you know, what we're really headed towards, it, you know, if you haven't already, you can try this in a, a, a plethora of other um, constructs as well, such as political ideas or class distinctions, personality traits, you know, again, just be careful when you're screwing around with this stuff. Yeah, no, definitely. I think like there could also, I mean, like it's it's kind of like a really cool experiment to run with yourself, like where you're experimenting like with these different ideologies, because I think it really helps to develop like a sense of empathy for a lot of points of view that you might not have considered before, which can be like mind expanding. I was just going to say, yeah, that's really important mm-hmm. to like put yourself in other people's shoes, you know? Yeah. And also, I mean, guys, don't be afraid this stuff can be exhausting like don't be afraid to take a break when you need it because the worst thing you can do is like burn yourself out and then lose your effectiveness oh definitely i wouldn't say that's the worst thing you can do but it's definitely not it's not a good one for sure sure thank you (laughs) not the worst thing that can happen (laughs) but it's not ideal either (laughs) right right 
All right, so taking a step further, we can see, you know, all of our personality traits, our habits, um, and so forth as constructs. The positive ones you could think of as, I guess, angels, if you like, and the negative ones or self-destructive ones we can think of as demons. As Carol points out in Psychonaut, the conventional religious form of exorcism seeks to replace one obsession with a larger and more powerful one. So we can remove a harmful habit or way of thinking by replacing it with a positive habit or way of thinking. Yeah, definitely. But <laughs> we're not trying to say that this shit's easy. Like This is definitely something that takes work, but it is possible. Yeah, this is baby's first ego magic, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's your, your positive affirmations and your reframing of things. Is, I love is it. It's adorable. Your first ego magic. <laughs> yes. All right, so... Speaking of a lot of hard work, though, I know ego magic is something we have talked a lot about being a big focus of our own practices. So maybe instead of trying to do like an instructional here um, and talk about specific techniques, we can do that later on and then just discuss in this episode, um, you know, some of our own experiences or how to adapt some of these techniques in a variety of ways. Yeah, that sounds good. I think what I'll do is I'll speak pretty generally here and then like maybe we'll go into this stuff like more in depth later on. But I want to give an example that's like hopefully pretty accessible and, you know, easy to grasp. All right. Do <laughs> so, it. Yeah, do it. Um, all right. So one of the things that I really like is this idea of like using fear as a leader. If there's something that like if, if okay, so like when you find out that you're like afraid of something and it's and it's an irrational fear it's not like you know a perfectly good rational fear like being hit by a train like that's not what i'm talking about Le let it lead you like do the thing like find out why it's there with you and if it's not useful to you fucking kill it or let it you know or let it work for you do you know do what you have to to let it serve you instead of you know control you have you ever seen the oa I have not. Okay. In the very beginning of the OA, um, she's telling her story and it starts out, she's a little girl and she's having these horrible, horrible dreams about being stuck in the water underneath the ice. Like she fell through a pond or something like that. Okay. So her dad takes her out to a lake, cuts a hole in the ice and sticks her. <laughs> okay. So like, you know. Facing down your fears, right? That's an, how did it turn out for the character in this story? She wasn't afraid of the ice anymore. Okay, <laughs> cool. Also, her dad told her the only way to be, the only way to conquer the cold was to become colder than it was. All right, cool. I like, I kind of like that. <laughs> that that actually is sort of that's actually sort of in line with the story I'm going to tell you. Sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. No, you're good. All right, so hopefully, like I said, this will be an easy example to grasp. So when I was younger, I used to have this like really intense, really irrational fear of machines, right? It sounds crazy. I was like afraid of like tractors and other things like that. It was super weird, right? Like I wanted to figure out what the hell that was about because it was obviously it was very strange. All right, so to make a very long story short, I ended up signing up for a trade school and I learned all about like automotive technology, like, right, what, what are these machines? Like, how do they work? Why do they look the way they do? 
it, it turned out to be a really good move. It helped me learn how to be more grounded. Um, it led to a lot of like really awesome things. But I'm not gonna lie, like it was an incredibly tough transition. Like I I had never worked in like a male dominated field before. I was pretty young at the time too, which I'm sure was a contributing factor to this. But so I was in this like this you know crazy situation where I was like confronting like some really like fundamental issues, and like for a long time it was pretty fucking terrifying. I would come home from like classes every day and I would cry and cry and I'd like write in my journal and like yeah I mean it sucked but I fucking just kept pushing and pushing and pushing against the fear and like finally I broke through it and then all of a sudden like it was a completely different experience of the world right I figured out so many different things about myself so many different things about aspects of the world that I never explored before and I also like learned you know like the the fear I'd been experiencing it wasn't really about machines like it was about some of like the more like what people might call like male aspected things about life so like with with this experience like all of those fears were melted away by understanding and exposure if that makes sense yeah absolutely how would you say you got into this stuff I started doing ego magic long before I knew what ego magic was it took me actually a long time. It wasn't until a few years ago, actually, that I found out that there were people already doing and writing about some of the stuff I'd been doing since I was in, like, I guess, mid-high school. But anyway, I have this place that I call my mind castle, and I found out later on that a lot of people call it an astral temple. And within my mind castle, there is a room, well, a hallway, rather, um, which is now guarded by a giant uh, Ganesha. But anyway, past the Ganesha and down the hall, there are several doors. <laughs> I, like this, I like this direction. Past the Ganesha and down the hall. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not just pulling this out of my ass. Like, this is a space that exists in my No, I get it. I house. get it. I love it. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, in this hall, one the very first door that you come to is like... Um, you ever seen like a walk-in freezer in a restaurant? Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've ever done. Yes. Yeah, okay. So it's kind of like that. Big kind of glass. Um, well, this one anyway has a big glass uh, window on it and the rest of it's all like steel, right? And inside you can see it's it's very cold and frosty and uh, sitting on the floor there is one of the more negative aspects of myself all chained up that doesn't get to go anywhere because he's a dick. So that was one of my very first experiments with ego magic was taking some of these aspects of myself and my personality that I knew were counterproductive and uh, finding a way to chain them up and lock them away. And uh, it works best when I don't think about it. But every once in a while, you kind of need that part of yourself, you know, so I never really killed it. I just kind of left it there. I mean, that's my story for ego magic. All right. Yeah, no, that's awesome, dude. Hell yeah. So yeah, I mean, like all of this shit, obviously, it's super personal. Everybody's going to have their own different version of it. So yeah, we would love to hear your guys' thoughts about all this stuff. But maybe we should talk just real quick about all the cool books we use to make this episode. Yeah. And before we do that, I just want to say like, we're not done talking about ego magic or chaos magic or uh, sigils and servitors. We're going to be talking about this for a little while. So if this episode kind of felt like a real brief kind of background, it was. 
and we're going to go into more detail yes. later. All right. So you want to get us rolling on these? We're excited. Yeah, absolutely. So first up, we have Condensed Chaos by Phil Hine. Leave Renal and Psychonaut by Peter J. Carroll. We wrote down the Principia Discordia, but we didn't actually. I didn't use anything from it in this episode anyway, but do check it out. It's very fun. <laughs> didn't you should read it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Complete Psychonauts Field Manual, A Cartoon Guide to Chaos Magic by Archtrader Blue Fluke. Chaos, Making a New Science by James Glick. Leave Chaos by Peter J. Carroll. All right, other recommended readings. Yes, definitely check out Prime Chaos by Phil Hine and Grant Morrison. Or like other stuff by Grant Morrison, like The Invisibles, the comic series that I'm always fucking talking about because it kicks ass. (laughs) Well, yeah. Also, The Illuminatus Trilogy by Robert Shea and Robert Anton Wilson. It's super fun. It's old school. It's real hilarious. You guys should definitely read it. Or like anything by Robert Anton Wilson. He was... An amazing thinker. His stuff is bonkers and just a riot. Absolutely. Yeah, no, he's great. And also, we didn't specifically reference this book, but I've been reading it and it's blowing my mind. So I'd love it if you guys would read it and we can talk about it. Magic Power Language Symbol by Patrick Dunn. Totally. Oh, and I have another suggestion just while I'm thinking about it. I posted this a while ago on our community page on Facebook. So, you know, if you're not a member of our Facebook community page and you love the show, we are randomly posting fun stuff there. And there's a great group of people there that, you know, love having good discussion. But um, the most recent issue of Heavy Metal Magazine had a comic in it called Philip K. Dick's Head is Missing which is totally up the alley of a lot of the stuff we talk about on the show deals with sort of like existentialism and like what is the nature of consciousness and reality and it it talks about magic and just it's it's totally kick-ass so if you can get a copy of that read that oh yeah dude Fuck, dude, that seemed to go by super quick. <laughs> I feel like we just barely, barely glossed the surface on this topic. So we're just going to have to come back again soon. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But in the meantime, like, everybody let us know, like, what are your thoughts about Chaos Magic? How have you used magic to transform yourself? And how might you continue to do so in the future? Um, you can find us at got a facebook fool's guide to the occult through that there is a community page um fellow travelers although i think the actual url or link to it is like fellow occult travelers or something like that but it's probably just easiest to go to the the base facebook page and then find the group page from there we're also on instagram at fool's guide uh we have a twitter we don't use and i think that's it for social media right now oh we have a patreon patreon.com yeah we're we're working on that yeah yeah we are working on that we're planning on putting some real fun stuff in there for you guys so in fact we're actually after this episode we're gonna record some fun stuff that's gonna be there for patreon members soonish so you know yeah so i think that's um what we've got for you today what would an episode about chaos magic be without actually putting a little chaos magic into it Ooh, I think we have something prepared for that. Let's uh, let's read a sigil in mantra form that we made ourselves. Sarwag Prakmund Fiziki One Nine. Sarwag Prakmund Fiziki One Nine. 
Sarwalk Brockmoon Fiziki 19. 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 Sarwalk Brockmoon Fiziki 19.